0: we're in the middle of a series called PUSH, uh, which stands for this pray until something happens. And with PUSH, we've actually started a prayer initiative. You'll see uh, on your seats there these cards that give you some scriptures to pray and give you some uh, points that we're believing and praying for there. But Pastor Aaron started last week uh, with sharing uh, a prayer from the Old Testament called the prayer of Jabez. And one of the things he said about Jabez is like he's kind of unknown. We don't know anything else about him except for really from this prayer. And he said he's not one of the the superstars of the Bible, if you will. But today I'm going to go in the other direction. I'm going to be sharing with you a New Testament uh, prayer. And it is from one of the superstars of the Bible. The superstar of the New Testament outside of Jesus was Paul. He wrote much of the New Testament, uh, he wrote many of the books, and, and, and often what the books were were actually letters to churches in certain areas. So uh, we, we may call them books today, but they were actually handwritten letters delivered to churches. And we're going to be in the book of Ephesians. And Paul has just some marvelous prayers throughout Scripture. This is one of my favorite ones of, of, of you know, four or five that he has that are so so good in Ephesians 1. In the book of Ephesians, he writes to the church at Ephesians. F- Ephesus. And interesting enough, he's writing from prison. So he's been arrested for, you know, preaching Jesus all around the world. He's And, and he and, and even though he's in jail, he's still writing letters. They can't stop him. Uh, they arrest him to stop him, but he still is writing letters and sending them out. And so Ephesus, we, we, we really believe that this letter was kind of written to this a church, but it was really written to multiple churches because he doesn't. Uh, in most of Paul's letters, he's like addressing an issue, like "Hey, I heard in this church this is happening," or "You wrote me about this. I want to respond to that." I've heard some some disturbing news. I want to I want to address that, or he'll 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 actually call someone out in a good way, or sometimes not a good way. Uh, mention them by name, but in this letter, he doesn't mention anyone by name. And he doesn't address any specific issues. But what he does is he talks about the church. The basic theme of the book of Ephesians is the church. And I thought, since we're praying as a church at noon every day, why not read the prayer that's written to the, uh, the church why not read one of the prayers that Paul writes to the church is if, as we as a church are praying. And I know that you know I've got an alarm every day to tell me at noon. It won't go off on Sunday. I made sure it not because it would be bad I'm up here and the alarm goes off. Um, but it, it's to remind me to pray every day, to remind me to pray every day. And even on Thanksgiving, we took a moment from the, the football game and prayed. And uh, decorating the house, we took a moment to pray. And so we encourage that. And so here we, I'm going to read in Ephesians 1. Starting in verse 15 through verse 23, here's what Paul says. He says, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people. What a great thing to be known for. He says, I've heard about your faith in Jesus and your love for people. At the end of my life, I want to be known for those two things. My faith in Jesus and my love for all God's people. He says, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Wow. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you this spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparable great power for us who believe. And then he goes on to describe this power. That same power... That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places far above all rule and authority, power, dominion, every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but that is to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Wow, wow, wow. So some things I just noticed right off the bat here is it's, it's, it's interesting, Paul said in verse 16, he says, I have not stopped. And in verse 16, he says, I keep asking. Someone asked us when we were doing this prayer because really our prayer in push is like, Lord, we need a home as a church because every good family needs a good home to build their family. And so we're like, Lord, we need a home for our church. We need a place to call our own. We need a place. And so we're praying, and someone asked said, What's gonna, What are we going to do as a church that if after three months God doesn't answer? Are we going to just keep praying at noon every day? Pray until something happens. But what if it takes a year, Pastor Jason? Pray until something happens. But what if it takes two years? Are we going to keep up at noon every day? Pray until something happens. That's what Paul's doing. He says, I'm going to keep on. I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep on praying. And I love what he's doing here in this time that we're celebrating Thanksgiving. He says, I give thanks for you. I'm giving thanks for you. And it's just a good reminder for us in this season. Is like, you might be thankful for your car and your house and for all your stuff. But like, be thankful for the relationships that God's put in your life. Be thankful for the people that God's put. That, that, that's what reminding. But I, I want to get into what he's talking about here. What is it? What is the purpose of this prayer? And it, it really revolves around this. He really, really, really wants us to know something here. He uses three different ways to just express, like, I want you to know something. He says, in verse 17, that God will give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Wisdom and revelation. In verse 18, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened. He's like, I really need you to know this. I really need you to get this. And if he's talking to church people, we as church people really need to get this A spirit of wisdom, he says, I want you to have a spirit of wisdom. And if you understand what wisdom is, is it's having knowledge and knowing what to do with that knowledge. It's applying that knowledge. It's putting it into practice. It's putting it into action. Then he says this other, a spirit of revelation. Now, we today, if you read the Bible and you think of revelation, you think of like, oh, that's the end times. Ooh, it's kind of spooky and mysterious. That's not what he's talking about. In fact, it's very interesting, the Greek word that the Bible uses or that is used to refer to that is the word apocalypse. And now, if if I said apocalyptic, if if we said apocalyptic literature, apocalyptic literature, today we define it as what? End times spooky, there's a nuclear blast, zombies are taking over. Like, it's all, that's what we think of. But the word literally does not mean that. It means open your eyes. It means to see something that was hidden, and it now becomes plain. Paul is saying, I want this to be so open your eyes. It's right there in front of you. And he says enlightenment, he uses this word, is to see things in the proper light. I was talking, I heard somebody overheard something at the office the other day, and a person was talking about a situation, and they didn't understand. And I said, can I shed some light on that circumstance there? Can I explain this to you? To shed light on means like, I'm going I'm to help you see this clear. I love what the Amplified says. It says that you'll be flooded with the light of the Holy Spirit. The message says that your eyes will be focused and clear. You know, as I get a little older in life, what I realize, it's a little bit harder to see in the dark. Anybody else with me? Anybody else with me? Any, you know, it's like, I know some people, they're like, well, I'm sorry, Pastor, I can't come to the new family dinner because it's dark out. I don't drive in the dark. Right? We, our eyes work better when things are light. When we can see in the light and when we're always over here rolling back the clock and changing forward the clock and it's changing all the dark and you get out of work and it's dark, you're like, oh, bummer. Anybody else but me? Yeah. He says flooded with light. So what is it that he wants us to know? What is it that he wants us to have wisdom about? What is it that he wants us to have flooded with light? What is it that he wants us to have revelation about? What does he want? What does Paul want us to know? There's really three things he touches on here. And in verse 17, he says, so that you may know him better. I think it's interesting because what prayer really is intended to be is a relationship-based dialogue with God, conversation with God. It's a part of our relationship with Him to have conversation with Him. That's what prayer is intended to be. It's, it, this is interesting that we he says, No God here. We just got done with a, a vision series, and in week one, we talked about knowing God is, a, is our main starting point for helping everybody walk on that relationship. And and, and 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 as you're in any relationship, here's how it works: whether it's a romantic relationship, friendship relationship, uh workplace relationship, it works this way. Is the more I get to know someone, the better our conversations can be, have the potential to be, as I both know and am known. They go deeper. Right? When I first meet someone, I'm like, "How about those roadrunners? How about Texas A& M? That was a good win, right? How about those cowboys? And that's it. Or the weather, right? That's the joke. It's like, oh, it sure is windy outside today. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I'm out here. But as you go deeper, and that's what God desires from us. It's like not that our prayers are just like, oh, hey, out there, master of the universe. How about that weather? And we can't know God exhaustively. That means we can't know everything about him, but we can know God sufficiently. In other words, we'll never learn everything there is to know about God. I believe the Bible talks about that when we've been there 10,000 years. There's a song that says we won't even still know everything there is to know about God. And we can't know all these things intellectually alone. It takes the revelation of the Spirit of God. Jesus talked about this in John 17. He said this. Now, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. See, because what we believe and our view on God determines how we approach God. What we believe about him determines how we approach him. If we believe that God is like, you know, we kind of get this like old grumpy Man, God, vision, angry. I don't know why he has a white beard, but he does. And he's up there, and he's ready to smite thou. I'm ready to smite. I'm ready to hit him with some lightning, with some hurricanes, with some bad stuff. I'm ready! Like, man, the angry God, when I come to get the angry God in prayer, I'm like, please don't smite me. I'm worried. I don't want to ask for anything because you might smite me. My prayers are don't smite me prayers. I've known people that that's the only kind of prayers they pray. It's like, don't smite me, yo. Don't smite me. Please, God, please don't. Don't smite me. Don't smite me. Don't tase me. Like, don't hurt me. Please don't hurt me. Then there's kind of like the, the distant God. He's like, he might be good, but he's so busy. He's just off there somewhere and the cosmos, God. He's the distant God. And my prayers with that guy are like, I don't even bother asking. Why? I it's, just, it's just out there. He's not going to hear. I don't understand. I just, just, he's busy. He's, he's got too much to go. Then there's kind of like the other pendulum swing. And then it's like, this is how p- some people, they, they envision God as a cosmic vending machine God. Ooh, if I could only say the right things. Like not drink the wrong things, not smoke the wrong things, not inject the wrong things, not not never say curse words or replacement curse words. <laughs> never watch rated R movies. Never watch anything on TV that would make Jesus blush. If I do all those things, If I help out all the old ladies, give in the collection plate, eat my vegetables and say my prayers, like God's going to do something for me. If I just press the right buttons, I'll get what I want from him. That's not God. We need to know the true God, that he's full of grace and truth. That he is near us and he hears us. He's not distant. That yes, he wants to bless us, but he's more concerned with our relationship, our heart. I always give this example when I'm talking about knowing God, and this or I'll use a, a famous athlete. So, like for me, my favorite athlete right now is Patrick Mahomes, like Kansas City Chiefs. We're hoping that the Cowboys make the Super Bowl. We'll destroy them. We lost our number one weapon. We got ten others. And I'll ask, I'll say, how many of y'all know Patrick Mahomes? Raise your hand All right now. Anybody know Patrick Mahomes? Oh, look at all these hands going up. Y'all are all liars. You don't know Patrick Mahomes. You know who he is. But someone's like, well, I went to Texas Tech, and I saw him in the hallway. You still don't know him. I saw him at the cafe, and he said he likes music, and I like music too. Well, my auntie's neighbor's grandma goes to the same hairdresser as his mom's neighbor. So I know him. You don't know him? I follow him on the TikTok. I know him. I follow him. I saw him out there. That's how most of our relationship with God can become if we're not careful. Well, I saw him in the hall one time. My grandma knows him, but I don't have any relationship with him. To know God is to both be known by him and to know him. To be in relationship with him. So number one, know God. Know God. Take a step in knowing God. Verse 18, he goes on. He says, that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Second thing Paul wants us to know is know our calling know our calling. Now here, when I grew up, this isn't the case here, but like my pastor growing up, like when we said calling, it meant this, God is calling you to be a pastor. That's the only kind of calling we ever talked about. In fact, it's funny because uh, the other day I was, we were in a meeting talking about youth camp this year. And I said, man, you know, we need to have a message on God's calling. And they said, well, we don't really want to put a message out there about God's calling because only 1% of like the kids are called to ministry. I said, I didn't ask anything about being called to ministry. I said, what is their calling? What has God called us to do as his people? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about being a pastor and getting on a platform and doing this thing. That's not my highest calling. All believers have a call. All believers have a call. All of us have a hope to which he's called us to, right? And we think about that hope to which he's called us to, and we think of that, we say heaven, right? That's our hope. We're called to go to heaven someday. And if I told you right now, you're called to go to heaven, you're like, well, not today. (laughs) Like, because that's our thought is like, someday I go to heaven. But that's really not how Jesus talked about heaven, nor is it how the Bible talks about heaven, actually. Jesus in Matthew 6, he's praying what we call the Lord's Prayer. He says, This, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's praying with his believers. He says, Actually, what you're called to do is pray heaven to earth. In the Old Testament, if you wanted to experience heaven, one guy went in once a year to where God's presence was called the holy of holies where heaven and earth collided. One person went once a year and they had to tie a rope around his leg because if he had any sin he would die. They had to pull pull him out. What is heaven? It is God's presence. Jesus said, you're called. Uh, uh, The scripture talks about the idea of we are God's temple. And the temple was the place where you went to meet God, where you, this is the only place where God was. But here he's saying in the New Testament, now we are the temple. We are mobile temples. The place where heaven and earth collide. Is supposed to be us. And we think about this when it comes to heaven because we all think about like someday I want to get to heaven and I want to experience the treasure of heaven. I want to, I want to experience God's, I want to get the reward. I'm called. He talked about this inheritance. What is God's inheritance in heaven? Let's look at Revelation 21:21. 21, 21. I love this. He's he's describing. John the Revelator is describing what he sees in heaven. One of the things he says, he says, there's 12 gates, 12 pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. I'd like to see the oyster that had that (laughs) pearl. He says, "The the great street of the city was gold as transparent glass. This is a place where there's so much abundance that God says, I'm going to take the gold and make streets out of it. And we can barely get a street without a pothole around here. (laughs) If you're from the Midwest, you really, you know, that's, that's a thing. But God's like, I put gold in my potholes. I got precious jewels everywhere. What kind of treasure can you want? in a place where gold is as common as dirt. You see, because what makes gold valuable, I don't know if you know this, is that you can't just get it anywhere. Because if you could get it anywhere, it it, it no longer is valuable. If it's everywhere, it's not valuable anymore. If it's it's just, hey, you just walk outside and there's some. Well, it's not valuable anymore. And it's just interesting that Jesus talked about this in Matthew 13. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. What is the treasure of heaven? What is the treasure? If it's not gold, if it's not jewels, if it's not the weather, it's not any of those things. John three sixteen he says, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. What is the treasure of heaven? It's you and I. Yeah. We are God's treasure in heaven. So if I'm going to heaven and he's promised me treasure though, what, what am I, what, what's going on? I believe that when we get to heaven, the scripture really unpacks this for us, is that when we look around, There'll be some who will be disappointed because they didn't walk out their calling. The treasure that I'm going to have in heaven is that when I was 19, I became a kid's pastor, even though I didn't really want to do that. My pastor asked me, hey, I want you to go back there and teach those kids. Go back there and don't come out until we tell you. And I went back there, and I, and, and, I, and I reached those kids, and I preached Jesus. I believe I'm going to get to heaven, and I'm going to see some kids there. I believe that the kids that I, I preached into in youth and at youth camp, they're going to, they're going to be the diapers that I changed in the nursery, that I'm going to get to heaven, and it's going to say, "The tre- I'm here because you invested into my life, because you walked out your calling, because you helped park the cars. That you helped find a seat, and in that service, I found the seat, and I heard about God, and I gave my life over to him. My marriage was a wreck, but, 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 but God, yeah. you, you took a moment to counsel me. You took a moment to pray with me. You took a moment to be obedient to the call of God in your life, yeah. to reach me. I want to get to heaven and have like a billion, uh, hey, sorry, you're going to have to get in line for all the stories I want to hear. That's what I want. That's what I want. That's what I want. I don't want to get to heaven, and, and, and this is, this is. I hope this doesn't happen to you. But think about eternity. You get there and you're like, oh, I was distracted by something. I don't remember what it was now. As I stand in the face of eternity and the things that don't matter are all gone, what, what was I... Why was I so reluctant to walk out what God called me to do? I'm confused. Why was it so hard for me? I don't understand. I don't remember why was this hard. I don't, I don't remember. Why did I think this was hard? It reminds me of a story from Alexander the Great. He was a leader of the Greeks. He was going over the Himalayans as he was moving to conquer India. He had just conquered the Persian Empire and all its wealth. He saw one young soldier whose horse was heavy laden. So this guy, they're painting the picture for you. He's got this horse and it's just got sacks on it. And the horse is just weakening under the load. It's just too heavy. And it's beginning to stumble along. And finally, he's he's trying to help the horse. And finally, the horse just collapsed. So this young man, this boy, picks up the treasures and straps them to his own back. And he's just struggling along. And Alexander the Great, he's curious what is in those sacks. And why is he trying so hard to carry them? And he approaches the young man and he asks him, he just says, Why are not you just leave them here? What do you have in those sacks that you're trying so hard to get to the camp with them? He said, sir, not knowing who he was speaking to, he said, these are the treasures of Alexander the Great. I have to get them to the camp. I have to get them there. And Alexander just shook his head and said, no, no, no. I'm Alexander the Great. When we get to the camp, those treasures are yours. Those treasures are yours. You get those treasures. Wouldn't you know in that moment that young man found new strength? Wouldn't you know in that moment, he was not tired anymore. He was not tempted to lay it down. He said, I got this. I'm going to get to the camp with these treasures. And I believe that's what God says to us. If you can get here, if you can get here, if you don't throw people over the cliff, if you'll just bear with them, if you realize what God has waiting for you, It'll give you the strength, the energy, the courage you need to go on. That is understanding your calling. That is understanding our calling. Because if we understand our calling, it'll strengthen, it'll sustain, it'll focus us. So people say, why do we need a church building? I like meeting at Pedrati's. No one who sets up says that. (laughs) And we need that because every great family has a great home. To call their own. Why are we spending so much money to go to youth camp? When I was a kid, camp was $39. I can't even buy a meal for that now for a kid. We're going because life change happens. It's hard. But life change. Why do we do so much like every year we do like these events like football Sunday? Oh, it's we're trying to make it easy for you to walk in your calling to bring somebody with you. Why don't we have like a women's event? Like it's a lot of work. We're trying to make it easy to bring someone. Why do we do like little bring bites and you're always telling us like, the next series is coming up. It's going to be awesome. You know, so all of our series are always going to be awesome. They're awesome. We're never like, this series is going to be mediocre. Uh, we're always like, they're awesome. This is going to be the most awesome series since series were ever seriesed. Why? Because we're just trying to help you to make it. Come on, bring somebody with you. Maybe you don't know what your calling is. We have a great class where we unpack that, Next Steps, happening this Saturday. You can get signed up on our website or out in the lobby. Next Steps, we talk about our story as our church and how the steps you can take to get involved here. And a lot of part of that is just as you get involved, you start unlocking your calling and developing your purpose. So number one, we're going to know God. Number two, we're going to know his calling. And the third thing, in verse 19, he talks about this, his incomparable great power for us who believe. Number three is to know his power. And what I love about this power is it's the power that lives in us. And there's really five things that he says about this power. Fivefold power. I'll call this the fivefold power of God, that we understand this in our prayers. Is The first thing he says is it's incomparably great power. It's unlimited when I first got a cell phone, I'm a little bit older than some of y'all, and some of y'all might remember this, when you actually had to pay per minute, and you had to pay for texts. <laughs> now everyone's like, free text and calling, because like you don't use it for that anymore. Now it's like you gotta pay for, you know, to, to actually get on the internet and do all that. Like we didn't have like you got, it was free nights and weekends, so you'd be like, I can't call them back until the night time. <laughs> it's too expensive. You ain't worth it. Like, I I got limited. Sorry, I only got so many minutes. I already went over the minutes. It's unlimited. Everybody say unlimited. unlimited. Then in verse 20, he says, when he raised Christ from the dead, this is resurrection power. And maybe you've experienced the death of a dream, a death of a hope, a death of maybe even your calling, a relationship. But there is resurrection power in God. Verse 20, he goes on, he says, seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. It's ruling power. It's understanding that he is above it all, that he is superior to all is our next thing. Superior power. No power compares. He says, it's far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is invoked. There's nothing that compares to God's power. And then in verse 21, he says, not only in the present age, but that is to come. It's lasting power. It has no expiration date. So when we understand that the same unlimited power that conquered death, hell, and the grave lives in us, when we know the power that we have available to us, we'll see things differently. It's hard to pray dead prayers if you understand the power of God, resurrection power inside of you. It's hard to not be excited about asking God for things. Because if we understand that that resurrection power, unlimited power, ruling power, lasting power is on the inside of us, it'll change the way we pray. Yeah. That's why Paul wanted us to know that. That's why he wanted us to walk in that relationship and he wanted us to walk in our calling and walk in that, 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 that understanding of power. He knew if we could just get the church to understand what kind of power they had. Not power to rule over people, but power to bring God's presence to the earth. As I mentioned, I got started off in kids ministry. I wanted to be a pastor. I felt called, and my pastor came to me and said, I need you to go to the kids area. And I'm like, they don't know anything, but I'm going to teach them something. And one of the first things we had to do is my wife and I were just like, you know, pretty, not even a year in our marriage yet. And so we had to go to camp, kids camp. And so how they would work is they would take churches all around the the, the state and they would put different kids with counselors. So I'm in a counselor in this cabin with these boys and it's like eight boys and I don't know them. And they're like seven to 12, something like that. Man, and I just—they—they I, they must have given me every troubled boy in the state of Illinois. I mean, like I must—it must have been, it must have been. I mean, these kids were rough, but there was just one boy in particular. I mean, he was just like—he didn't care. Like he was mean to me. Like he was threatening me. I'm gonna stab you when you sleep. I mean, he was, and he meant it. I checked him for a knife, and he didn't have one. But I'm like, it's worse to get stabbed with a spoon. And this kid just gave me trouble. He was threatening. He was mad because I wouldn't lie and say that he passed the swim test. And Maybe I should have just said he passed the swim test and just let him not swim. Uh, But but I didn't. I did the right thing, and I just, you know, I'm the kind of person, if you threaten me, I just double down, right? I'm like, I don't care how big you are, how bad you are. You threaten me, I'm not going to do it. So I go this whole week with this kid. It's like four nights, and you know. And I'm like, at the end, I'm just like, my hair. That's what happened to it. Uh, I didn't have any gray or none fell out but at that point. I'm like, this is this was a rough week. I'm tired. I'm gonna need to take vacation, even though I took vacation to come help the church. And the dean of the camp, the director, he came up to me and he just said, "Hey, I just want you to know that that boy." has been here for five years at camp. And every year he's got sent home on the first night. You are the first counselor that didn't send him home. I said, what? I could have sent him home? I was not aware that that power was available to me. Because the first night he tried to stab me, I would have sent him home. I had to put up with something because I didn't realize the power I had. And I couldn't leverage it. Because at least I could have got him to behave maybe a little bit. And I wonder how many of us are praying dead, defeated, weak, powerless prayers because we're not aware of the power the resurrection power that lives on the inside of us. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you and we ask that you would help us to know you, to be comfortable approaching you. Lord, we help. We ask that you would help us to know the hope to which you've called us, that we would be focused on the right things, have strength to, to sustain us in that calling, that we would understand the power that we have in prayer That it's on the inside of us. That it's available to us right now. And we just thank you.